0: Dalzell. She is a registered nurse, healthcare advocate, disability rights influencer, speaker, and most importantly, a survivor. At the age of five, Andrea was diagnosed with a transverse myelitis, inflammation of the spinal cord that causes pain, muscle weakness, and paralysis. And she was using a wheelchair full-time by the age of 12 years old. Inspired by her experiences with nurses, she received her nursing degree from the City University of New York College of Staten Island. Andrea became the first registered nurse in a wheelchair in the state of New York and she devotes her career to helping others with disabilities live healthier lives whether seated or able-bodied. Andrea was crowned Miss Wheelchair New York 2015 and utilized her title and platform, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Access, to promote her message and belief that people with disabilities can live a fulfilling life. As an advocate and activist, she has won national recognition over the years, including being named New Mobilities Person of the Year 2021 and the inaugural Craig H. Nielsen Visionary Prize Winner 2020. She has also been featured in Unite Spinal, Home Care Magazine, Apple's iWatch campaign, Yahoo, and Forbes. Welcome to the show, Andrea.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: This is awesome. I have actually, I've, I've, I've seen you on social media. I have, uh, I had hoped we'd connect at some point, and I'm glad we finally had a chance to uh, connect as I kick off sort of a, a, a series of. Uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion series to be more purposeful, and you, your, our connection came at a perfect time, as I already shared with you uh, uh, before we started recording this. Um, but before we get into all of that, uh, I want to know how you got in, Well, we, I, I read a little bit about how you got inspired, but how did you actually decide you're going to enter into the world of nursing?
1: Yeah. So I've told the story a couple of times, but, you know, by now, I hope your listeners will know or or be like intrigued by this story as well. Uh, I didn't want to be a nurse. I had no intentions of ever going into nursing Uh, when I was younger and I was diagnosed with transverse myelitis. I was five and I used to tell all my doctors growing up in and out of the hospitals that uh, I was going to come back and sue them for all the pain (laughs) that they've put me through. So I was destined to be a lawyer. I knew how to argue back and, you know, advocate for myself at a very young age. And uh, when I left uh, one of the hospitals one day to actually attend my graduation, uh, a doctor and his NP came to my graduation and they wrote in my memory book, please, anything but a lawyer. (laughs) Well, (laughs) if you can't beat them, you join them. So I thought that I was going to go to college and I was going to be a doctor. And that's what I was studying. I was uh, studying neuroscience and I wanted to figure out a way to cure pain without having to use opioids. And that was my whole thing. How am I going to be able to work if I need to be hooked up on painkillers? So I need to figure out how to to not take painkillers and figure out pain. And I'm going to go be a doctor and do that. And I audited some medical school classes. And to be honest, I hated every minute of it. I realized that the medical model really just looks at the disease process. You kind of sometimes forget that there's a person that's attached to that diagnosis. And me growing up in the hospital system and in the medical field, uh, just because of my own illness as a patient, I know the doctors that used to come in that room and really hold on to that medical model and just look at me as though I'm a diagnosis. And I was like, I I can't ever have the the moral or ethical value to go into a, someone's room and tell them they'll never be able to do something again uh, or that they may need to do something else knowing all of the obstacles that i had faced having that type of pressure put on me uh wow. for a diagnosis and uh, a nurse said to me well why not nursing you know and it didn't click for me, I never saw a nurse in a wheelchair. I never thought that I could be a nurse. Like mm-hmm. you know, you don't, you're not immersed into that. You, none of my nurses growing up ever had some type of disability that I saw, and therefore I never believed that that was something that I can do. And I filled out the the pre testing paperwork and took the test, and it took me one year to actually apply for nursing school after I took the pre entrance exam. And after I got in, I was like, well, there's no turning back now. We're just going to wow. have to go through with it.
0: Yeah. Now, I have a question for you. Uh, now, did the school know of your disability before you applied?
1: Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, so I went to the same college for my undergrad degree where I got biology and neuroscience. And I would be in the same building as a nursing student. So I would pass the nurse uh, educators and ask them, you know, has there ever been a, a nurse with a disability in your program? And they'd say no. And I'm okay, fine. And, but yeah, they had no idea. Basically, my entrance was based on the pre entrance exam and my competitive level of score. Wow. And then my prerequisites. So they did oh, not good. know until the first day <laughs> good for
0: you good for you uh now now one of the reasons i really wanted to talk to you uh, other is is I, i'm I, it's this is a this is an area where i've challenged myself um a few years ago um I, I i'm in academia uh the university uh really began to uh change uh some of the things that we were doing to make ourselves make our like, syllabi more accessible for the. Uh, hearing and visually impaired individuals or mm-hmm. how we are posting our content online and all of this stuff makes a difference. And I really started thinking about nursing. I started thinking about uh, exa- sort of the question, the, the, the topic that you brought up is I have not really physically seen uh, like student nurses or, or nurses coming into the profession with a physical uh, disability. Right. right. Um, so that was one thing that I I started like really thinking, like, what if somebody who was visually impaired or hearing impaired or or like someone like like you who is in a wheelchair, like mm-hmm. what are we doing to actually make the profession accessible? I guess my next question for you would be how once you were in the program, um, how how was the program for you? Because I'm sure. If you, if they didn't, if they weren't aware of the fact that you were in a wheelchair, like how was the program, how was the acceptance of you in the program once you got started?
1: Yeah, so my first day of orientation, uh, and I say this story a lot, and let me preface this by saying like, I loved my professors in nursing school. Maybe I should have like said that every single time (laughs) i said this, but I love my professors. They truly pushed me to be the nurse that I am today. Awesome. But that aside, you know, and, and just like everyday nursing now, you know, we all have our own biases. We all think what our own normal is, is what's going, what has to be for someone else. And that's not necessarily the case. And we know that being nurses. However, my first day of nursing school orientation you know, they came up to me, asked me to come out the room and said, You can't be a nurse. We don't know if our, our hospital systems will allow you to do your clinical practices there. How are you going to be able to do CPR? Uh, and asking me to explain this to them as if I was already a nurse, if, as if I already knew what all the movements were going to be before I even started the program. It was just yeah. an orientation. And that expectation of a student is where the biases lead, like literally live because when you think about any other student you're visually seeing them walk into your classroom or you're walking into you know your clinical facility and think that yes they can do everything when we also know that's not the case right so you know it literally comes down to taking off those rose colored glasses and, and kind of rechecking everything that we know about disability at the forefront And kind of erasing all of that and giving that person a chance to show us what they can do with what we know how to do and then making it accessible for them.
0: Right. And I think as a, as a profession, we, I, I, I want to, you know, I hate to even say it this way, but from a profession that is so, um. Deeply involved in, in the in the in healthcare, I don't think we've done hardly anything to address this issue of not only making the profession accessible to everyone, right, uh, but also making sure that there is a that we have made um, a, a place in in outside of the school, right. Uh, which I want to I want to get into in a little bit, but so before, but I still want to talk about your school experience because your obviously orientation was was more of a Q and A of how are you going to do anything, right? Uh, but what was the what was the experience for you once you were in school?
1: Um, yeah, so again, like coming off of that orientation, luckily for me, I went to the City University of New York's College of Staten Island, right? So this is a huge Uh, operating system when it comes to the University of New York. So they have already resources in place for students with disabilities. Now, again, that doesn't mean the nursing program was ready for me. So the moment I left orientation, I went straight to my um, diversity affairs officer on the campus and said, they're telling me I can't be a nurse. I was already accepted into the program. You need to figure out what the next steps are, not me. And then I went over to the Office of Students with Disabilities and Veteran Affairs and said to them the same thing. Like, this is not my responsibility to figure out. Under the ADA, you've already accepted me. You cannot deny me. So you guys figure it out. And I kept pushing it back onto someone else to figure out. And then I realized that they were having a bunch of conversations without me in the Mm. room. And I'm like, you cannot decide what my ability could, would, or should be. Only I can do that. Right. So the conversations needed to have me involved, even if you were having private conversations about me and what my abilities were. I still needed to be in the room to have that to have my own defense of what I can and can't do because nobody else knows that, right? And and what we realized even in a nursing school section, nothing in nursing, no textbook, encompasses or or brings in uh, encompasses disability. The wording isn't there, language isn't there. And when you have 1 billion persons globally that have a disability and a whole profession that takes care of the whole globe (laughs) doesn't have the wording to take care of someone with a disability when this is what we literally do, it kind of boggles your mind to think, where do I fit in, in healthcare even today?
0: Yeah very true, very true. Um, and, and I think that's one of the yeah because every, every you know as you're mentioning this uh, like I'm like trying to think of where we're discussing some of this stuff and we're really not uh, and and or if the conversations are being had they're not being we're not being purposeful about having them and teaching them purposefully right right if they're being taught they're being taught by some professor who happens to have an experience that they feel like they need to share as opposed to making sure that all that content is being purposefully passed on on. generation after generation after generation of nurses coming through.
1: Right. Um, And again, it kind of like uh, mirrors that medical model where we're just looking at a diagnosis and how to um, get this uh, nursing order done or how to ensure that we're cross-checking. We do have a lot on our plate. Nursing school is supposed to get you to pass the NCLEX. But what a lot of nursing schools also miss is that they're using the same... Uh, criteria to get a job to get into nursing school right you have to be able to stand up for 12 hours you have to be able to run you have to be able to lift 50 pounds where in nursing school are you lifting 50 pounds (laughs) <laughs> you're a liability if you're doing that. That's one, right? And in nursing school, you're probably not doing 12 hours on a clinical floor. You're maybe doing eight. Ma- Even if you do 12, like you're not alone. You're not by yourself with a patient. Like that's a liability. We know that. So why is the criteria to get the job the same criteria to get into a program? Yeah. The program is supposed to teach you. It's supposed to be education. It's supposed to get you to pass the NCLEX. We realized this for the last two years where a lot of our nursing students were online. They were online and doing simulations. They weren't hands-on with patients, right? They weren't lifting anyone. And it's the same kind of gatekeeper uh, mentality that we have in nursing that if you are different, uh, we can't have you here because you're maybe infection control. And I love to say that we're an evidence-based practice, Show me the evidence that says (laughs) we can't do the job. (laughs) Right,
0: right. Uh, And again, I think for for me, I mean, as you're like all this, all as you're as you're talking about this stuff, and it's so true because we are not uh, like, for example, my students were still doing time in the hospitals during the pandemic. uh, But we did put a nice chunk of that stuff online as well, just because of limitations, right? Mm Uh, but I'm trying to think, I think, you know, but because I think the way the profession has been set up, we haven't made, like I said before, I don't think we've made room for people that don't necessarily um, meet that job requirement that you mentioned, you know, stand up for 12 hours and lift 50 pounds and blah, 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 whatever, all everything else that goes along with that as a, as a profession. Why, like I get, I I get some of that, but why haven't we we made the changes that we need to make to make room for other people?
1: That's because we haven't grown the nursing profession in how many years? Yeah, There's so many different tracks to nursing now that bedside is no longer the number one option, right? There's so many different options to nursing, but the basics of the NCLEX is bedside. Yeah. and 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 bedside bedside knowledge, but you can get bedside knowledge without ever being at the bedside.
0: Right.
1: Uh, a lot of what nurses will say is like you need the experience to be able to see the bigger picture, and a hundred percent. When I started in in med surge during. COVID time, you know, a lot of what I've experienced as a patient was forefront for me. So it was a lot that I can pull from. Yeah. Uh, A lot of people who don't have that type of experience before nursing school would potentially miss out on having that, you know, functionality with patients and and understanding the full scope of what a diagnosis could look like and how to really critically think. But again, nursing has so many different. Tracks you can be in informatics where you're never in front of a patient, but you know all patient information just in front of you. Right. Uh, you know, there's so many different fields, and and we keep focusing on bedside as if it's the only one, without actually encouraging nurses to look at different aspects of nursing. And I think
0: it's it's hard for people, um, especially you mentioned gatekeeping, and gate gatekeeping is a huge issue in nursing where people look at you different if you haven't spent if you haven't done if you haven't paid your dues Mm -hmm. right and your dues tend to be have you done bedside nursing for x amount of years or whatever right Uh, and the NCLEX is set up the same way the board of registered nursing vision of what you can and can't do often is set up the same way so I think we nursing perhaps uh, uh, not perhaps I think it's in a um, hopefully it's changing uh, is in the process of changing, but it's not changing fast enough. And I think uh, I, I I really do think you you have a point on, um, uh, on the fact that we are we are very much um, hospital based, and I wish we weren't because I think there's so many different avenues. I would love to see some fast tracks, and I know some of them exist fast tracks to ambulatory care, never mm-hmm. having to go into the hospital or fast tracks into public health or mm-hmm. fast tracks into school nursing. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the things, but you know, unless, but so many people are like, well, did you do med search? Did you do ICU? Did you do blow, you know, whatever it is, that's hospital based. And I think we need to change our mentality. For example, like I know, I you know, I did my rotation in maternal child health, right. knowing I will never do maternal child health, right? But I spent yeah. an entire semester there, right? Um, so like, is there an opportunity within like, uh, perhaps uh, some visionary school that's going to say, hey, why don't we do a specialty track uh-huh. where you're spending, you know you're gonna be an ICU nurse? Can we spend three years concentrating on ICU, ICU experience yeah. or maternal child health experience and i'm sure those may have existed at one point and they went away and we as we sort of made everything try to be the same but at the same time i don't i don't there there's so much that i think we're missing out as on as a profession because you're right we do have so many different avenues and we have so many different options as we look at careers within nursing so uh, so let me let me fast forward a little bit as you're going through your nursing program. Uh, you complete your nursing program and i read a little bit. I did a little bit of reading on your website. So how was your experience? And this is I think my my main point um, of the nursing profession not being ready for an incredible individual like you to join it. Is how was your experience coming out of nursing school taking the NCLEX and bo- passing the boards? but now it's time for you to find a job.
1: Yeah, so I passed uh, my NCLEX and you know I'm gonna brag about it but nobody really cares, right? So it's <laughs> so the 75 question mark awesome. and I'm like, awesome. yes, I finished, it's done. And I go back to school and I'm telling my professors I passed and I'm asking for their recommendations and they're all like, oh, we don't know if you'll be able to do the job. It's so physically taxing. Um, I still have those emails from professors that I've emailed saying, I'm having a difficult time finding placement in a clinical position because my my goal was to be a pediatric ICU nurse, right? I'm going to give back the same way those nurses gave back to me. Let me get into the ICU. Awesome. And that was my thought process. And I submitted over 3000 applications. I had 76 in-person clinical uh interviews for clinical placement and i got rejected from all of them wow uh every single one i even had uh one nurse i overheard him uh as i came in for an interview say to the nurse said to him well she's in a wheelchair and and he's saying from his office she's in a wheelchair why is she here for nursing then and that was before i even went into the room uh and then had a whole conversation with someone who really believed that my disability was more of a hindrance than it would have been anything else uh, being in that. And I was in dialysis. So everything would have been at my level it wasn't even at, <laughs> you know, something higher than me, or I wouldn't move around, like it would been fine. Like, right. But, you know, the again, the biases was that you you can see my disability. So because you can see it, you can automatically make assumptions about what I can and can't do versus allowing me to one try or two, you know let you know how I do certain things and three just experience the floor there's an orientation period right so we we hire and we put someone through an orientation period to see if they make the cut and I wouldn't even be allowed to get that far Wow. But my interviews were great. You know, you mentioned that I was Miss Wiltshire in New York 2015. I went through media training. I had to learn how to speak. I had to learn how to pull out the most important information in very short amount of of words. So I knew I wasn't crazy. I knew that, you know, there there was something that was there that was completely blocking someone from allowing me to enter the profession the way that I wanted to. And you know what changed that was COVID we were so hard pressed here in New York for nurses that our governor asked for nurses to come out of retirement. And that's when I knew uh, I had a potential shot. Uh, Hospitals were putting their HR numbers up and I called the HR number, gave them my name, sent them my resume and they called me to come in the next day. And I went through orientation process and got onto the floor Thinking that all the marbles were going to drop. Like, I don't belong here. They're going to tell me that I don't belong here. And here I was. Got my assignment. Started checking in on my patients. And the nurse manager comes to the floor and says to me, have you ever worked on the floor before? And I was like, yeah, through clinicals. And she's like, no, as a nurse. And I was like, no. And she was like, I don't think you can. it's safe for you to be on the floor. Uh, You may actually spread COVID to other patients and i was like who said that hr didn't tell me that the nurse educator that i was training under for the last two days didn't say anything to me and here you are uh if there's a real issue i suggest you go back to hr and i didn't think she expected me to say that and kind of hold my ground of where i was and i didn't expect for me to say that either but i was just so tired of rejection that i was already there that i knew enough to say go back to hr because they accepted me right uh and I kind of just went from there. And it was always this learning curve for people working around me to say, wait a minute, she's working here and then see how I worked. And then was like, wow, she can actually do this. Yeah.
0: Now, did the hospital have to make accommodations for you or were you able to self accommodate for the things that you needed? Just I mean, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm coming from a perspective. I'm, I, And I have to say this, honestly, I'm coming from a super novice perspective. Uh, standpoint where i've like you know I've, ha- I've had an opportunity to think about this uh for quite some time uh about uh you know how do we increase or open the profession up to uh, increase the access for everyone within the profession uh, but uh, i haven't had an opportunity to really talk to anyone who is in the profession who um who hasn't necessarily, and I'm putting, putting some air quotes up, that meet the requirements of, you know, as we mentioned, stand up for 12 hours and lift 50 pounds and da da, da all that stuff, right? right. Um, so, so how was how was the accommodations, like how much did the hospital come through or was it all you?
1: So I went through nursing school with no accommodations. I took up boxing to be able to do CPR from the seated position, nice. right? Cause it's all stamina. It's all, it's all upper body work. Mostly, you know, for someone who's standing doing CPR, a lot of that work is going to come from your legs and your shoulders pushing down, right? If you have leverage over someone's body, you have your body weight to help you out. That's what boxing does. So I did boxing from the seated position and learned how to do CPR, uh, from from my own from my own position. so therefore you know for me, a lot of my accommodations was really like asking a offgoing nurse to help me reset my room if the rooms were smaller that I was assigned to and just okay. making sure that I can get around the room. So like I said, I would pull an offgoing nurse, someone who's leaving for the day bef- as we're getting report, if we're going to the room and if I'm doing report in the room, we'll be setting the room that I'd be able to get into. And guess what? No one else has to reset the room when I leave because if I can get around the room, someone else can get around the room, right? Uh, as long as I'm setting the room at the end of the day, the oncoming nurse didn't have to worry about my rooms or too much clutter or stuff being just in the way. Right. Uh, and that's all the things that I have to worry about. Let's think about nurses that are climbing over the trash bins and the chairs and <laughs> everything else that are in the rooms. I can't do that. So when right. I'm coming on to shift, I'm literally just moving everything around I'm making sure that my wow is fully stocked. I don't really need to go into the the kit or the utility closets for anything. And if I did, I'd probably just grab someone off the floor and say, hey, I'll go do that IV for you. Can you grab this for me and I'll, I'll meet you here or just leave it on my wow. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just about communication. And that's what nurses do anyway. It's all teamwork. We don't do this alone.
0: Well, that I, I think that I think you, you touched on a on a really great point. And as I, as you're mentioning this, I'm like, if our rooms and our bins and everything was ADA compliant to begin with, mm-hmm. imagine how much injury we would be preventing for people who are who don't have who don't need accommodations and who are who meet all the job requirements. You know, again, air quotes on the job requirements. Um, but but i'm like i'm like thinking as you're like we don't we wouldn't have to like bend down inappropriately or you know have the appropriate equipment and everything would be at a level where it's accessible by everyone and you're right that room clutter i mean that's that just goes without saying i mean it's not just the nurses but also the patients right right right. they have to also be so that's another preventative component and we don't we don't always think about that we just uh, Expect people to do acrobatics in those rooms for some reason
1: right Um, or just having a hoyer lift available right right? um a lot of these nurses now that work through covid lifting 300 plus pound patients you know turning every two hours four hours you know our backs their backs are shot and i love to make You know, nurses don't hate me, but I sit down for 12 hours. My body mechanics are not (laughs) going to be changing for someone to turn, push. You know, everything's always going to be at my level. I'm not going, you know, below or above it. So, you know, while I was in the hospital, I'm putting patients in Trendelenburg, to pull them up in bed and nurses are watching me like, wait a minute, this is magic. How
0: how is this (laughs) happening? Right. We, We have a lot to learn from you. You know that we have a lot to learn from you. Yeah. Um, so that's that. That's amazing. Um, so tell me about how your experience. So you are not you. You are able to get into a hospital, thankfully, and, and I'm sure they appreciated the help once they removed their thoughts they had or or their mind map of what you could or couldn't do. What was your experience after you had been there and they had seen what you can do? Uh
1: You know, narrative shifts a little bit. You know. Sometimes people have to see with their own eyes in order to believe, and that's okay. Uh, but as I was there and, and as these months are flying by, you know, I really started to teach the nurses around me about how to use their equipment and, mm. and how to use the equipment effectively. Because again, this was equipment that was used on me in rehab. I think rehab nurses are the most, you know, savvy when it comes to body mechanics and, and using the equipment that's there and not you know hurting themselves because and not hurting the patient right and and that's something that i really made sure that was a part of the conversation while i was on the floor like you know we have to lift this patient i'm like oh you better get the hoyer lift you better get the roller you better get you know don't just do it or just call for people to lift the patient like you're really putting too much strain on yourself and we're doing this way too much so you know constantly enforcing the use of the equipment that the hospital had available and you know putting in those tickets when something is broken over and over and over again. And not allowing for nurses to kind of look at me as though I'm the, oh, poor as you. Like, no, mm-hmm. like I'm doing the same thing you're doing. You don't get to look at me like that. Uh, and I also realized during that time that technology is not incorporated into our, tech, into our uh, learning, learning curves. Technology is something that is driving healthcare forward but it's not necessarily driving the way we practice forward because we're not incorporating it. So that was another thing like right after um, COVID and I, I left the hospital system that was something that I started to take on for myself in talking to nursing schools in general to make sure that students knew how to use equipment, not just a cane, not just a walker, you know, not just ambulatory uh, devices, but literally using a Hoyer lift, a track system, you know, making sure that their understanding of their own body and how to ensure that they're not just doing something to be fast. Yep. In. Um, applying for jobs afterward also became a little bit easier because i already had this hospital experience so now i left a hospital clinical setting and got a management position in a private school consulting and then from there i went into an ambulatory care center as a nurse man- uh, assistant nurse manager and then showing them that there's a way to be a team without acting, having to feel like you're a family or feel like you're in this environment that's constantly putting pressure on you. So opening the door for people to understand that their own ability is what we need to put to the forefront. What are your strong points? And then kind of rotating the team to always hit those strong points and not always making one person feel like they're the only one
0: wow amazing congratulations on uh moving through the professional ladder uh and getting the ability i'm sorry i want to i want to apologize almost for the fact that uh it took a pandemic to get you a job in the world of nursing because um like i said uh, i i as i've had the opportunity to challenge my own uh, biases and mind map of uh, people uh, who have, you know, the, the topic of, of a visually impaired student came at the university that I, that I am currently at and that's kind of got me started to think about um, how are we accommodating as a profession, how are we accommodating students access into the profession when we don't have, when we ha- we're not set up like not only in the schools but we're also not set up um, on the service side really. To have right. to 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 provide those opportunities for people to get into the profession of nursing because they have just as much right to it, but we're just not we're just not there. So whenever we talk about equity, diversity, and inclusion, uh, we don't really we mm-hmm. don't talk about accessibility, right?
1: Well, the thing is, we've done the work. We see the patients. We know what the diagnosis process is. We know what the the care entails, right? What we fail to do. Is stop seeing the negative yep. and actually see the positive that has come about in the work that we actually deliver. Right. Right. We deliver top notch nursing care that our patients come back and remember us for what we do. Right? right. Our patients come back and tell you all of these great things that they've done since we've cared for them. Mm. Or, you know, even the patients that are still struggling, they still have found that connection with us. Right a doctor, a nurse, whatever, the healthcare profession in general is something that is always going to be at the forefront of a diagnosis period. Now, what we need to do is not just look at a diagnosis as though it's synonymously tied to being ill and sick and unhealthy, because that's not the case either. Uh, And then when we are a part of these businesses, we need to hold them accountable. Oh, this isn't happening. Did anyone put in that ticket? Nobody put it in, but these hospitals all have to be at the requirement of the federal level, which is the ADA standard, right? Right. We've already been given the tools. We just don't know how to use them. Mm. We don't know how to change the language to be incorporating. We don't know how to stand up for ourselves in the profession that says, I don't have a disability, but I know this isn't right. So therefore you should fix this.
0: Mm. More proactivity on everybody's part.
1: Right. Right. Because then it's no longer on me to teach someone solely because I have the disability, but because I'm giving you the power to know that if you keep lifting a 50 pound patient three times a night, that you're going to have back problems and you may need time off for three weeks and have to figure out how you're using your time. And you need to figure out accommodations as well. Right this is not just a disability thing. This is an everyone thing. This is equitable access for someone who may be having a child who goes on maternity leave at six months, who may not have the time and asking other nurses to donate time to be out. Like it's a system that we fundamentally broken just because we work in it. Right. Right. We're expecting everyone to be healthy, including the workers, doesn't work
0: (laughs) we're very we're as a profession we're very bad at (laughs) accommodating our own profession of healthcare workers right (laughs) Uh, we're very bad at it Um, so I agree with you Um, now you have built a platform for advocacy uh, and activism around this topic can you share with me some of the work that you're doing uh, and some of the work that hopefully you're you're looking forward to doing as you as you move forward in your professional career as a as a nurse.
1: Yeah so my love and baseline foundation for my own nursing career came out of a need to move uh, persons with disabilities who are younger out of nursing homes into their own accessible apartments and having the resources that they need to stay there. Hmm. Uh, what we would say in nursing is called aging in place. Right. Because we want our elderly to be able to age in place and not have to worry about steps and rugs and all that. Well, guess what? That translates into someone with a disability as well. So uh, for me, I after I won the visionary award from the Craig H. Nielsen Foundation, I started a nonprofit called The Seated Position. And it's to help students that have physical disabilities, particularly get into STEM fields and healthcare. So navigating what uh, accommodations look like when it comes to being in in organic, organic chemistry, uh, understanding what accommodations may look like for a student with impairments, uh, physical impairments going into the medical profession or nursing profession, and what do those accommodations or accommodational requests can look like. Uh, And they will follow them not only from the higher education standpoint, but into the working standpoint. Uh, Working with other people with disabilities throughout STEM, engineering, mathematics, and seeing what programs are out there that can be tailored to program uh, needs, uh, whether they're studying, like, again, engineering, mathematics, nursing, medical model, anything. Um, So if you do have a visual impairment, how can we use echo to formulate what you need to know and hear, right? Mm Right. Uh, How do we use for someone who may be missing a limb, uh, making sure they're able to keep sterility in an OR setting, right? For our doctors who are going through medical school programs, you know, when they need to scrub and and the, the language is to keep your arms above waist length when our waist is significantly closer to our hands than they would be if we were standing up you know kind of going through those studies right now and and working with different programs and different nonprofits to see how we can get that actual evidence-based practice uh into publication because we need to understand that if we're going to say something can't be done that we need to back it up we need to say we need to have some proof there um and not just proof on one individual but proof against multitude of different individuals and they're they're out there they want to join these programs they want to get into them and are getting the no we can't have you no we can't accept you or you haven't been accepted because they know who they are they've seen them and therefore now they're being turned away and told that they need to do like psychology or a desk job it's better if you do a desk job instead of doing something that requires physical activity so the seated position really focuses on getting the student in the door to the program and then getting them into their career.
0: Wow, amazing, amazing! Uh, and I'm so uh, as you're talking about this stuff, it's making the wheels turn in my in my head of all the things that we can do uh, moving forward, uh, and especially from a from a research perspective. Uh, And and I don't know, again, I'm coming from a a novice perspective uh, talking to you about this, and and I appreciate this because I'm learning so much from you, Uh, but uh, I'm thinking of all the things that we can, I don't know if anybody's doing it again, but from a research perspective, looking at all the, you know, like having the evidence available of what uh, people with various abilities can do within the profession, As opposed to just doing this blanket statement of, or looking at job description and say, this person doesn't meet our job description, they can't do the job, right? Uh, Where we're just basing that off of uh, just what we think we know, not necessarily the evidence. You're absolutely right. right. This is great.
1: It's all all preconceived notion, right? Again, uh, this comes down to representation. You don't see nurses in wheelchairs. You don't see nurses with limb differences unless we physically tell you. Uh, You don't hear nurses talking about their diabetes unless, you know, they're telling you they have diabetes or, you know, they need to be able to take time to regulate their insulin. And sometimes they don't even have that accommodation in place, right? Those that have hypertension. Again, nurses are just, you know, that small uh, dime size of what our whole community faces every day. We ourselves are not perfect human beings. And we're asking people to be perfect, to join a profession. And again, disability doesn't equal uh, unhealthy. It doesn't equal sickness. It just is a disability. Whether you acquire that disability later on in life or had that disability as a child, the one thing that disabled people know is how to adapt. We have no choice we have to be able to think on a fly. And that's something that I have cherished for myself, but also realize now working with students, how quickly they actually think 30, 40, 50 steps ahead. If something goes wrong, we could try this way. We could do it this way. We could do it this way. And that is something that is valuable to the healthcare profession, to have these individuals be a part of our profession, to let us know how we can do something differently. And also when they're meeting with patients that also have these issues, the empowerment that we're giving back to our patients to be able to connect on a level that no one else would be able to connect on because they understand that experience, not only in their profession, but in their personal life. And they can translate that to someone else who's going through it in real time. And I can tell you how many times that's happened to me, just going into a patient's room who may have a new CVA new stroke diagnosis, losing a part of their body working. And here I am rolling into their room and working around them. And they're like, wait a minute, (laughs) life goes on. (laughs) Yes, life happens. And life happens in a way that doesn't show you on TV doesn't open into a journal. You know, we don't talk about it. And if we don't talk about it, we don't see it. And we don't see it. We don't believe that it can happen.
0: Right. Uh, and, and we always talk about, you know, making sure the nursing profession is representative of the communities we're serving, uh, but then we, we don't allow individuals with other abilities to, um, to join the profession uh, for, because of our own mindset, right? It's, it's all on our own mindset, and it's not based on anything really factual um, that we can do. Um, so so uh, I I'm so uh, I'm so glad that we were able to connect and your you have definitely educated me on on so much already. Um, now I have one one sort of uh, not the last question but sort of a last question. Um, if you could change anything um, within the schools of nursing, right? Um, what would that, what would those things perhaps just off the top of your head? What are some of the things the schools of nursing can do in order to increase the access of programs uh, to people um, that like yourself may be in a wheelchair or may have uh, may have a disability um, uh, com- that want to be that want to become part of a part of the nursing profession?
1: Get rid of the requirements period. Uh, I understand the educational side of requirements, right? I understand what you need to be able to have a student come in. Then base it off of education alone. What were your prerequisite scores, your entrance exams? Fine. If you want to go that way, do it that way. But this requirement status of having to stand or lift or whatever the case is, that needs to be thrown out. Because you're not applying for a job. You're applying for education. You're applying for a chance to be educated education does not equal the job opportunity and we know that clearly so why are we putting that type of requirement onto students wanting to learn you're automatically telling them not to apply Make and that's sense. whether they have a disability or not right a, a student can be looking at your requirements and see lifting 50 pounds standing for 12 hours i don't want to do that and you're automatically turning them away again because you're so based off of this bedside perspective But again, NCLEX is knowledge. NCLEX is do you understand what the textbook is telling you? And if I give you this case study, would you be able to take what's in the textbook and critically put it into play for this case study? That's exactly what we're asking you to do. But nursing schools are saying, hold on, you can't walk. You don't have two working limbs. You need to be out for whatever reason. You have a cast on your arm. You need to apply next semester. Don't apply at all. Maybe another profession is worth it for you. And if you're going to be that type of a gatekeeper, we can't be complaining about the shortages that we have now because there are a slew of people that want to come in the door and they're automatically turned off just because we're, we're asking for a job application versus an educational application.
0: Right. Now, same question for you, but now looking at the job market, what do uh, institutions need to do uh, to be more um, accepting of individuals that aren't meeting the, again, the air quotes, the job requirements?
1: well, one, institutions need to check themselves first. I know this is an impossible task for them to do because they think <laughs> that they're perfect in every way. And that is not true. One of my preceptors, and this is a shameless plug for New Nurse Academy, who has taught me everything DEI that I know, um, her name is Tiffany Gibson. And she happens to be the reason why I have so much gusto today. She told me when I was going for my original acceptance. Uh, for a COVID nursing position, uh, that they accepted you. They gave you the job. Remember that equal opportunity employment statement that's on the end of every business, right? They cannot discriminate against you. So therefore roll with that, (laughs) right? So my now where I am today, and, and when I talk to different organizations, I'm always saying we put that EEOC statement on our websites, it's on our brochures, it's everywhere. What does that really mean? It's a federal statement that we all have to put on there, but what does it mean? You're not, you're accepting of those people or you're saying, yes, please apply. And if you're saying, yes, please apply, have you prepared for them to come into your building? Mm. Have you prepared for them to come into your space? You don't you don't discriminate against race, sex, gender, disability. Do you have accessible bathrooms? Do you have accessible parking? Do you have the bandwidth to accommodate an employee coming in with a disability. And what do those disabilities possibly look like? We already know, because we all signed an asked station, stating that we don't have a disability, or we do have a disability in terms of, you know, whatever it says on the paper. Uh, and we sign off on it before we even get an interview. Right? Right. So we know what disability is, we know how to treat it, but we don't even plan for it. And we say, please come apply.
0: And I think that's, that's the biggest <laughs> point is, It's uh, for a lot of organization, it may be more of a lip service than than have we actually have we actually taken uh, uh, actually taken the actions that we need to not only be ADA uh, compliant with for our patients, but also ADA compliant for our staff and registered nurses and physicians or what have you. Exactly.
1: And then that's the baseline. The ADA is 32 years old. Mm. It hasn't been updated since 2008. Yeah. If you're meeting the basics of the ADA, you're behind the curveball. Yeah. You're behind. And if you're not meeting the ADA, you're way behind. And a lot of these hospital systems are way behind the eight ball. They're not even close to being meeting the standards of the ADA, let alone where we're at today with how technology has transformed disability and, and technology and how technology helps disability as it is.
0: Wow. Amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, this has been uh, very educational for me and I appreciate the fact that you are in, 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 uh, I'll take credit. I'm, I'm so excited that you are in my profession and I have an opportunity to speak with you uh, because this is amazing. Uh, I'm going to, I said, this will be the last question. Anything else you want to share with us before uh, we sign off? Uh,
1: Yeah, you know what, nurses, we, we literally have the power to change the course and the direction of our profession to include and accept everyone. And if we don't start doing it now, we're literally signing off on our own uh, deadline to leave the profession, because disability is all inclusive. Anyone can join at any given point in time. So if you don't speak up now for yourself, You'll be speaking up now, you'll be speaking up later for yourself. So do it now, be an ally to the disability community, be an ally to your patients and speak up now.
0: Great. Thank you. Thank you. We have been uh, very privileged to have you as a guest and thank you for joining us. Uh, We have been listening to Andrea Dalzell. She is a registered nurse and an incredible uh, advocate. And if you want to follow her, she is on social media at the seated nurse. Yes. Correct. Yes. Awesome. So please do follow her. Uh, uh, I've I follow you. I think on on several different platforms. And um, and like I said, this has been a very educational session for me. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the RN Mentor with your host Ali Taya. Please don't forget to visit www.aliartayeb.com. That's www.aliartayeb.com for podcast notes and resources, and don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, I wish you fair winds and following seas.